If you don't have a church home, we'd love to have you join us at Southcrest Baptist Church. Services are 8 a.m., 9.30, and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings and 6 p.m. on Wednesdays. We're located at 3801 South Loop 289 in Lubbock, Texas. If you can't join us in person, be part of our online congregation at southcrestlive.tv to stream our Sunday services live at 9.30 or 11. For more information, visit our website at southcrest.org. This week on Southcrest Live, featuring Dr. David Wilson, we continue our study called Hope, a series in 1 Peter. We're in chapter 4 today, specifically verses 12 through 19. The Apostle Peter informs Christians not to be surprised when troubles come, but to be instead encouraged, knowing that they share in the sufferings of Christ. What other insights does Peter have for them and us? Open your Bible to 1 Peter 4 and listen to this week's message, Life in the Fiery Furnace, from Pastor David Wilson. 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to talk about hard times today. You ever been through any hard times? You ever been through any trials? This message is for you. Would you stand while I read God's word? Verse 12, don't miss the first word, beloved. It means you're deeply loved by God or dear friends, depending on how it's translated in your scripture. But this is the key to the rest of the verse because a lot of times we forget when we're going through hard times that God still loves us deeply. Deeply loved by God. Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed. But on your part, he is glorified. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter or in this name. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, thank you for your word. We know it's true. We know it's truth. Please apply this truth to our lives. Encourage those who may be going through difficult times. Bring those closer to you who have drifted away. I pray that you will bring those to a saving knowledge of you today. So, Lord, we ask you to help us learn, change our lives, that we might never be the same again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
A dietitian was once addressing a very large audience in Chicago, and she said, the material that we put into our stomachs is enough to have killed most of us sitting here years ago. Red meat is awful, soft drinks erode your stomach lining, Chinese food is loaded with MSG, vegetables can be disastrous, and none of us realize the long-term harm caused by the germs in our drinking water. But there's one thing that is the most dangerous of all, and we all have, or will, or probably will eat it. Can anyone here tell me what food causes the most grief and suffering for years after eating it. A 75-year-old man on the front row stood up and said, wedding cake. (laughs) Now, we're not going to talk about that kind of suffering today. We're going to talk about people going through hard times. We think of the fiery trial that Peter mentions here. We think of the, the three hot Hebrews in Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And actually, they weren't hot because it never got hot for them. We think about the difficult times and, and that the theme here is that no matter who you are as a child of God, now he's, he's talking to Christians here. He's writing to Christians who are going through persecution. Some of them have lost everything. Some of them are being driven from their homes and and suffering because of their Christianity. And he's writing to them and he's telling us, every one of us who serve God, everyone who loves Jesus, everyone who's a follower of Christ is going to have some difficult times. Now, that seems to be opposite of the way we think about it today because we normally think, well, if we follow Jesus, then all of our problems are supposed to be solved. The word fiery trial actually speaks of intensity. It describes a refiner's fire. And sometimes when we go through difficult times, God purges us from the, of what's important in life and what's just the, the frivolous stuff in our life. When we go through a hard time, we realize what's really important, our relationship to the Lord and our relationship to other people. Malcolm Muggeridge, who passed away many years ago, was a British journalist. He was being interviewed by William Buckley. And he said, as an old man looking back on one's life, it's one of the things that strikes you most forcibly that the only thing that's taught one anything is suffering. Not success, not happiness, not anything like that. The only thing that really teaches one what life's about is suffering. We don't really learn a lot when things are going well, when we've got happy days and good health and everything's going fine. Most of the time, we we sort of put God on the back burner. But when we go through a difficult time, all of a sudden, our eyes are put on the Lord and we learn what's really important in life, don't we? We learn what's really matters in life. I hate to tell you this, but you're going to go through some difficult times in your life if you haven't already been there. Some of you are going through some right now. Some of you are wondering, does God even care about what I'm going through? And I believe that's why he started out by saying, deeply loved by God once. You need to remember that when you're going through trials, God still loves you as much as he's ever loved you. God still cares. The problem is we live in a cursed world. So how are we supposed to respond? I believe he begins by talking about our composure. 
How do we compose ourselves as believers? Dear friends, dearly loved by God, and it's the key here. Then he says, stop thinking it's strange. It's really a command. Stop thinking it's alien to you that because you're a child of God, you're suffering. Now, we're told by a lot of people today, a lot of the health and wealth guys, that you can have your best life now and that you, right now, you shouldn't have any trouble. If you have enough faith, then you're not ever going to have any problems. I want to tell you something, folks. That's a lie. Try telling the apostles that. I can hardly wait till they get to heaven, if they get to heaven. I think some of them probably will. But when when they get to heaven, I want them to walk up to Paul and Timothy and and Peter and say, you know, you didn't have enough faith or you wouldn't have suffered. Can you imagine saying that? That'd be like trying to tell uh, Noah about the floods we've had here in Lubbock occasionally. Oh, you should have seen my neighborhood, it flooded. Well, let me go over and talk to Noah for a moment. You want to talk about a flood? Let's talk about a flood. Here's the deal. We somehow have gotten the idea that if we serve God and we're a child of his and that we're not ever going to have any problems and then when something bad happens to us, the first person we blame is, God, why'd you let this happen to me? Why did you let this happen? It's all right to be mad. When bad stuff happens, I don't always smile to you. And sometimes I'm mad about it. But where have we gotten this idea that if you serve God, everything's going to be perfect here on the earth? The scripture never says that. What it does say, I won't ever leave you in it. I'm there with you. The reason is, sometimes we take those scriptures that were given to Israel as a nation collectively. God basically said to the nation of Israel, you follow me, I will bless you. Well, then we've personalized it on on an individual scale. If I follow the Lord, he will bless me. And that is true. God has blessed us in many ways. But it doesn't mean that nothing bad will ever happen to you. Peter is basically saying, hello, you're still in a human body. You still live in sinful flesh. You still are in a cursed world. It rains on the just and the unjust. It hails on the just and the unjust, doesn't it? (laughs) And see, we could immediately say, God, why'd you let this happen to me? He's going to say, because you're still on the earth and the earth is waiting to be redeemed. And you're in difficult times. And as a child of God, you may go through some hard times and you may be even persecuted and you may be even ridiculed. The word happened, and it says as, so, as if some strange thing happened to you, means to go together and basically says you're on a collision course with suffering. At some point in your life, you're going to suffer. Folks, you're not going to get out of this world alive unless Jesus returns You're going to die to leave this world. How you die, chances are you're going to suffer before you die. Sometimes you're going to get a terminal illness. Wouldn't it be nice if the Lord would let us pick, I'm just going to go to sleep and wake up in heaven, but we don't get to pick that. Any of you in here gone through a hard time? Any of you ever been mad at God? You say, why'd you let this happen to me? And God says, you know what? There are things I've allowed. You're still on a cursed earth. You're still in a cursed world, but I am there with you. I've never left you. I've never forsaken you.
You remember that poem that everybody likes called Footprints in the Sand? And when you see the one set of footprints, those were the times I carried you. You didn't even know I was carrying you. What's our composure? Don't think it's strange. A wise man once said, life is 10% of what happens to you and 90% of how you respond. How do you respond? One lady said to her neighbor, if you had my faith, you wouldn't have any trouble. Her neighbor said, well, if you had my trouble, you wouldn't have any faith. (laughs) How do you respond? Chuck Swindoll said, if we view life as a schoolroom and God as an instructor, it should come as no surprise when we encounter pop quizzes and periodic examinations. Maturity in the Christian life is measured by our ability to withstand the tests that come our way without having them shake our foundation or throw us into an emotional tailspin. You may get mad, you may have a hard time, but you don't stay there because you realize, you know what? I have no other place to go but you, God. So the composure of believer is that don't be so surprised. You don't start asking, well, what did I do to deserve this? How come this happened to me? How come I have cancer? How come I have this? How come I lost this? How come this happened? It's because we live in a sin-infested world. Evil is running rampant. Satan is the power of the air, the prince of the power of the air. And right now, you are in the midst of it. So am I. And so there's no guarantees just because we're followers of Jesus that we won't ever have some difficulty especially persecution. In fact, it's growing more and more rampant in our country. Here it is Memorial Day weekend, and we're trying to remember those who passed, who died for our freedoms. And the reason that we have it so easy as Christians in this world is because of these men and women who gave their lives to give us this freedom that we enjoy so well. And don't forget it, young people. You haven't seen it. My generation didn't see much of it. Don't forget that the freedoms you have came at a high cost. But now those freedoms are being taken and given away as we take God out of every part of our nation. And now we're beginning to see Christianity being persecuted a little bit. And it'll get worse. Now, that's how we're to compose ourselves. But did you know there is some consolation here? You'll notice in verse 13, it says to rejoice. I really hate that verse, don't you? (laughs) Whenever you're going through difficult times, the last thing I want to do is to rejoice. But here's the concept we have. We think that we're supposed to smile all the time and be happy all the time. Happiness is dependent on your circumstances. Joy only comes from the Lord. Joy is deep. Joy means I trust God. Joy means I have peace. Joy means that God's still in control of my life and I know it. I haven't lost my hope. I know who it is in. Happiness, you know, my circumstances can make me smile. They can make me cry. Happiness and joy are different. But there is some joy here and I want you to see why. Because even when you're going through hard times, there's still participation. You're sharing with Christ, especially if you're going through hard times because you're a Christian. 
The only reason you're suffering is because somebody's ridiculing you as a child of God. There's a participation. Did you notice in verse 13, he says, you partake of Christ's suffering. The word partake is the verb form of the word koinonia. Koinonia means fellowship. Now we're talking, when Baptists think of fellowship, they think of an eating party, don't they? We're going to eat something. We're going to have fellowship together. Well, and it does usually mean happy times. We're going to partake. We're going to fellowship with one another. But here, it speaks of having fellowship in the sufferings of Christ. Let me explain it to you this way. I'm going to use my two fingers here. I'm going to put this finger over here, and this is, this is Christ. And here we are over here. Now, I'm assuming that you know Jesus as your Savior. You've come to know him. You've been saved. So you're here. Here's Christ. And you're wanting to grow closer to Christ. So what do we do? We do a lot of things. We read the Bible. We pray. We worship. We sing. We praise. We share our faith. We give our money. We listen to sermons. We exercise our faith. We use our spiritual gifts to minister to other people. And we get closer to the Lord, but we still are sort of about halfway, aren't we? I mean, we, we still like, I just want to get closer to the Lord. But Peter says that when we go through hard times, especially because of our Christianity and because we follow Christ and people begin to persecute us and ridicule us, and then we get to a place in our life when we can no longer take it and we fall on our face and we say, Lord, if you don't come through, I'm not going to make it and, and I'm completely committed to you, then we wind up right over here by him. We partake, our suffering draws us closer to him because we get to the place where all we can do is to call on him. Everything else kind of gets out of the way. God intends that our hard times move us from where we are to where Christ is. We partake, we fellowship in his sufferings. But, then, but next there's something that's given to you. It's imparted to you. I call it impartation. It's given to you. It says in verse 14, if you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. It's given to you. It's an Old Testament concept of the Shekinah glory of God that came down upon the tabernacle. The same spirit rests upon the believer, indwells the believer. God's spirit rests upon you when you're going through suffering, especially persecution because of your Christianity. And the word rest means to give relief and refreshment and intermission from toil. Refreshment comes to those believers who suffer for the sake of the gospel. God imparts his spirit upon you and gives you an extra measure of strength and grace. When I'm going through persecution, I can rest assured that God is still there with me and you. He doesn't leave us. Which means that pain and suffering are inevitable, but misery is optional. It's inevitable. Pain and suffering, it's going to happen, but I don't have to be miserable in it because I know it draws me closer to Christ and God's spirit rests upon us. Are you with me? I put the eight o'clock crowd to sleep. I'm trying to keep from doing that in this one. I had about 10 guys out there had their eyes closed. I finally said, you know what? I just need to stop. (laughs) 
before I put everybody out. So I'm watching, I'm watching. The third thing is there's an exaltation that's coming because in verse 13, he says, when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. His glory is revealed at the second coming of Jesus. And what you're going through right now, even though you're suffering and going through hard times, you're a child of God. And when Jesus comes again, you're going to forget about all this stuff. You're going to forget about it. In fact, there's an old hymn that said, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. And how about that hymn that says, what a day that will be when my Jesus I will see. So when our trials come, there's a composure. We're not surprised. Don't think it's strange. I'm a child of God and I'm suffering. Boy, the health and wealth guys won't like this because it has nothing to do with your faith. In fact, sometimes God allows things to come our way. I didn't say he sent it, but he allows things to come our way that helps refine us as a believer, to grow us, to see what's really important in life. He then mentions the Christ-likeness of a believer. Verse 15, he said, look, don't suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a busybody in other people's matters. Folks, sometimes we bring suffering on ourselves, don't we? The sin that we commit, the, the laws that we break, we suffer because we brought it on ourselves. If, if you're driving 10 miles over the speed limit and you get stopped by a highway patrolman and he gives you a ticket, you don't get back in the car and say, why'd you do that to me, God? No, it was your fault. Trust me, I know. It's your fault. Leadfoot. I'm not Bigfoot, I'm Leadfoot. And, and I remember a politician being caught in a very ugly sin and they were ridiculing him and giving him all kinds of grief, which they should have been doing anyway. And he makes the statement, I know how Christ felt when he was crucified. No, that's not the idea here. See, Christ didn't sin. Problem is when we sin and we suffer, it's our own fault. Some suffering we bring on ourselves. So he's saying, look, you're, you're not supposed to suffer because you're breaking the law. I mean, you're going to, but that's not what he's talking about. He said, sometimes you're going to suffer for just being a Christian. It's interesting that that word is used here. It's only three times in the New Testament you find the word Christian. Two times in the book of Acts and here in 1 Peter chapter 4. Christian. Did you know it was meant as in the beginning to be a derogatory term? The followers of Jesus were given this nickname by the Romans and the Greeks. The, the word Caesar in Greek is Kaiser. And those who worshiped Caesar were called Kaiseranus, um, uh, or I can't say it, but they were followers of Caesar. Well, they began to call Christians Christianus, Christ followers. And it was a derisive term. It was an insult. The early believers would not say Caesar is Lord. They would rather die than say those words. And actually, the followers of Jesus didn't begin by calling themselves Christians because they were, the word Christ was too sacred for them to use. They, followed, they called themselves believers or disciples or followers of the way. 
And so the lines were drawn early. You either follow Caesar or Christ. Peter said, there's coming a day when you're going to have to decide. And then he said, also, do not be ashamed. Let him not be ashamed in verse 16, but let him glorify God in his name, by his name. I I have a feeling, uh, I can't prove it, but I have a feeling that it's sort of a personal testimony there because Peter had one time warmed himself by the fire and they asked him if he was a follower and he denied him three times and even swore that he didn't and and then the, the rooster crowed and then he's probably thinking, look, I know what it's like to be ashamed of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. You know what? If there's hope for Peter... <laughs> And him being redeemed and restored, there's hope for us when we have denied and been ashamed. He said, let the name Christian be a name that brings glory to God. Today, the word Christian is used so many different ways. They claim, people claim they're a Christian, but in the real sense, a Christian is a person who has repented of their sin been forgiven by God and received, committed their lives to Jesus Christ by faith. Being a going to a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. <laughs> Being baptized doesn't make you a Christian. Your faith in Jesus Christ makes you a Christian. It's obedient when you follow him in baptism. Baptism's not optional, but it doesn't wash away your sin. Seems like the choir saying something about what can wash away your sin. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And then those who are giving you a hard time, you know, they make you mad and, they, and people ridicule you. Maybe you've been overlooked in your job or a promotion in your job or you've been ridiculed by friends and people make fun of you. And sometimes we, instead of being unashamed, we sort of blend in. We want people to know that we're nice people, but we're not necessarily going to tell them we're a Christian. I just want to kind of blend in and not call attention to myself. And you're not supposed to be angry and ugly, but excuse me, you're supposed to tell people, I I love the Lord and I want you to know the Lord. Don't be ashamed of him. But sometimes we sort of go undercover. But when you are suffering as a believer, Peter tells us there's a consideration we should have in verse 17. Remember the destiny of those who are persecuting you for the time has come for judgment, verse 17. There's two words for time in the New Testament. Chronos is just a span of time, an hour. And you've got a chronograph, a watch on your arm. It tells you how much time and, and you, some of you look at it a lot when I preach for some reason, but you, it tells you how much time there is. It's a span of time. But then there's the word kairos, which means a significant time, an opportune time, a time filled with significant meaning. And he's, we talk about the time of Christ's return. So we don't know the chronos, but we know the kairos. We know it's getting closer. It's closer than it's ever been. And so he's, he's basically saying that the time is now happening when Christians are beginning to be judged. Not by God necessarily. Uh, folks, 
you've given your life to Christ. You've asked God to forgive you. You've repented of your sin. You trust him by faith. His spirit lives in you. You're not going to face the judgment of God, the wrath of God. But the judgment he's talking about here is the judgment of the persecution from non-believers. It's already beginning, he's saying. And one of the signs of the times of Christ's return is the persecution and the judgment of believers in the house of God. Sometimes God allows judgment to come on believers or to happen in order to bring us back on the right path. And sometimes he disciplines us and chastens us, but we're not going to face God's wrath. But the judgment here begins with the house of God. Persecution begins to happen and we have to decide, are we going to stand with the Lord or not? And what we believe, what do we, what do we believe? But Peter is saying, those people who are beginning to persecute you, think about this. If you have been saved and you're going through persecution and judgment and God's allowing that, think about what will be the outcome for those who don't obey the gospel of God. Think about those who have not received Christ. We're saved by the grace of God, and yet we still are judged by other people, and God allows us to have some purging going on. But can you imagine what's going to happen to those who don't know Jesus? He quotes part of Proverbs. He says, we've been scarcely saved. Scarcely. That's an interesting word. What does that mean? There's only one way. You're just barely saved. Did you know that? Now, now, stay with me. Some of you are looking, you're fading on me. You're just barely saved. You're saved to the uttermost, but you're just barely saved. What I mean by that is there's only one way to be saved. That maybe barely is not the right word to use. You are scarcely saved. Something that's, if there's only one of them, if there's only one something in the world, it's scarce, isn't it? You are scarcely saved. Only one way to be saved, only through Jesus Christ. Only, it's hard to get to heaven through this world. Only by the shed blood of Jesus, only by God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit do we survive the trials of life and one day we're going home. I've been saved, scarcely saved. Only one way to be saved, through Jesus Christ. And he said, can you imagine those he said, those who ridicule you are blaspheming God on the one hand, but you are glorifying God on the other hand. When they persecute you, when they give you a hard time, they're giving, they're really denying the gospel. They're denying the Lord. They're not denying you. They don't like Jesus. Henceforth, they don't like you. They don't like the gospel, henceforth they don't like you, but they're blaspheming on one hand because the only sin that God will not forgive is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And when you say, I don't want anything to have to do with the gospel, you're blaspheming God. So people that don't receive Christ, when they step into eternity, can you think about how rough that's going to be, how terrible that's going to be? There have been so many jokes about hell. 
that people really don't take it seriously. They think somehow it's going to be rough, but they'll be there with all their friends and they're going to make it somehow. I don't believe you're going to see anybody in hell. It's going to be dark. It's away from God. There will be no light there because hell will be away from God and God is light. In heaven, there won't need to be any lights because the light, the glory of God will illuminate heaven. But where there is God is not going to be, there will be no light. We don't think about it. In fact, when somebody gives you a hard time about being a Christian, you begin to think about, I consider what's going to happen to them. It makes you a little more compassionate and patient with them. To think these people who ridicule Christianity. I think about the media and think about the, 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 the famous people today that really do look down on Christians. This is as good as it will ever be for them, ever, unless they come to know Jesus. It's sad, isn't it, when you think about it. If somebody's giving you a hard time and they're punishing you and persecuting you, these people, these, these radical Muslims that kill Christians, think about what's going to happen to them one day. They're going to step into eternity without God. That's what he's saying. You need to consider it. You've, you've been saved. Where are the ungodly and the sinner going to stand one day? And then finally, in verse 19, he talks about the commitment against the backdrop of the possible ultimate hopelessness. He gives one of the greatest affirmations of assurance and trust. He says, listen, commit. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good. Commit is a banking term, means make a deposit. To trust what you have with a treasured friend or a, a valued friend, a trusted friend. It, Paul wrote it so well in, to Timothy when he said, I know whom I have believed in and I am persuaded that he's able to keep that I've committed to him against that day. Amen. Some of you made your deposit when you were kids. You turned from your sin and repentance and you gave your life to God. said, Lord, here's my life. I deposit my life to you. I give you my life, Jesus. And God's spirit lives in you. It's the down payment of your salvation. You made a commitment of your life. And if you've never made a commitment, you need to deposit your soul in Jesus. Amen. Not in the church. Not in the denomination. Not in any good works. In Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And if you've never deposited your life in Christ, today you can do that. You don't have to join this church, but you've got to deposit your life, deposit your soul, commit your soul to him. Do you know whom you have believed in? Be nice if you got a deposit slip, wouldn't it? You know, when you go to the bank and you deposit money, they give you a little slip, says you've deposited this in your account. Well, you know what your deposit is? It's the Holy Spirit living in you. He's the guarantee of your salvation. He's the down payment. He's the assurance that you've been saved. You're going to heaven. 
And then those of you who are Christians and you're going through a difficult time, I think you'll find this interesting. I'm not sure who wrote it, but obviously he was foreman on a job. Here's what he said. The carpenter I hired to help me restore an old farmhouse had just finished a rough day first on the job, first day on the job. He had a flat tire, made him lose an hour of work. His electric saw quit, and now his ancient pickup refused to start. (laughs) While I drove him home, he sat in stony silence, but on arriving home, he invited me in to meet his family. As we walked toward the front door, he paused briefly at a small tree, touching both or touching the tips of the branches with both hands. And then he let go, and when he opened the door, he underwent an amazing transformation. His tanned face was wreathed in its smile. He hugged his two small children, gave his wife a kiss. And afterward, he walked to the car, or he walked me to the car. We passed that tree, and my curiosity got the better of me. I asked him about what I'd seen him do earlier. He said, oh, that's my trouble tree. He said, I know I can't help having troubles on the job, but one thing's for sure, troubles don't belong in the house with my wife and children. So I just hang them on the tree every night when I come home. And then in the morning, I pick them up again. But the funny thing is, he said, when I come out in the morning to pick them up, there aren't nearly as many as I remember hanging up the night before. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 55 two, cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. The word cast doesn't mean to throw. It means to let it roll off. I may be the only man in this room when his wife comes home with groceries in the back of the car who tries to carry them all in at one time. (laughs) You would be amazed at how many of those sacks I can get on my big hands. (laughs) But sometimes I get myself in a bind. I get so many of them in, I walk in and I'm thinking I shouldn't have gotten this many. And all I can think about is letting go of that burden. That's the picture here. Let it go. Roll it off. Some of you today may be carrying some burdens that you just need to simply say, Lord, I'm just going to roll this off on you. Thank you that you don't ever leave me or forsake me, that you're here with me. One of the commentaries I read said, adversity is the diamond dust heaven polishes its jewels with. And so when we go through hard times, God just does a little more polishing on us, conforming us to the image of his son. I wish I could tell you you would never have any troubles. But until we get into a perfect world, we're going to have some troubles. You have a choice on how you can respond to it though. Because your faith can show. Peter even said back in chapter 3, always be ready to give a defense to those who don't know Jesus, basically, because of the way that you respond to, to trials and troubles. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Thank you, Pastor David. 
Here in 1 Peter 4, the apostle gives some wise counsel to suffering Christians. In the midst of the apparent dark cloud is a silver lining. Yes, while Christians will suffer, we can also rejoice in the knowledge of Christ's return and in the Spirit's presence residing with us and in knowing that there is no shame in being a member of God's household. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Be sure to catch our next installment of the Southcrest Live podcast. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.